0: Well, if you're watching online or you're new and you've never been here, my name's Tony, and uh, I am the lead pastor here of Gateway. And today we're going to continue a series I started last week called Vision 2020. Now, I, I explained to you last week this is not a vision for the church. This is not a church vision series. And a lot of times, as pastors, we think January is a great time to recast vision for our church, for our church body. Our mission and our vision statement, all that. That's not what this is. This is a mission statement. This is a vision for you to have about your personal lives in 2020. This is what I would wish for you. Last week, I shared with you this bottom line idea out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 10. I shared you with this idea The best you is the you God builds. The best you. The best you can be in 2020 is not necessarily the best you that you build, but what God builds. And we understood that God, we are God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork. Paul uses, you know, this term there in Ephesians of that we translate poem. Basically, we are God's poetry that someday God is going to show off to all of the universe. See see what the love and the grace and the mercy of God has done. And it's going to be our song as the redeemed of God. Not because we did anything great, but because God did. And so the best you is the one God builds. And so I challenged you to recommit your life last week to 2020, to recommit this year to show up to jump in and to live out what it is God has for you. And it really was a commitment for you to make this commitment, a challenge to you to make a commitment to spiritual formation this year. To really not so much focus on the resolutions in your life, but the transformation of your life. The transforming of who you are. So today, I want to continue in that. I'm not going to talk about resolutions anymore. I want to talk to you about your jobs. No, uh, uh-huh. none of that. No, uh, uh, tomorrow's Monday, right? Work starts. So, how many of you have seen the movie The Incredibles? Well, All those people who have kids, right? So several years ago when my girls were little, this movie The Incredibles came out and it was this story of this former superhero family who could no longer be superheroes. This was their calling in life, to be superheroes. But something happened and they could no longer be superheroes and they had to get real jobs. So Mr. Incredible, and his name says it all, right? He loved being a superhero, Mr. Incredible loved fighting crime. It was his calling. It was his passion. I mean, he could do anything in life. It was to catch the bad guy and be the hero and save the day. But now, the movie starts with Mr. Incredible not fulfilling that calling, but instead, he's a paper pusher in a cubicle of an insurance company. The movie does a great job showing his sense of this depression that's on him, his lack of motivation, his lack of self-worth. He hates his job. He hates it so bad and it shows all over his face, all over his demeanor. He goes home and his kids know it. His wife knows it. He despises his job. He's lost his identity as a superhero. And now he's simply a paper, paper pusher at a, in a cubicle of an insurance company. So his life is now consumed with this job that gives him no sense of meaning and purpose. Maybe you feel like this sometimes. So watch this clip and see if you can relate. Request claim on claim number one five eight one You Mr. would here, like to right talk now. to you in his office. Yeah. No. No. Evening, oh. Sit down, Bob. I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy. Ask me why. Okay. Why? Why what? Be specific, Bob. Why are you unhappy? Your customers make me unhappy. What? You've gotten complaints? Complaints I can handle. What I can't handle is your customers' inexplicable knowledge of InsuraCare's inner workings. They're experts. Experts, Bob! Exploiting every loophole, dodging every obstacle. They're penetrating the bureaucracy! Did I do something illegal? No. Are you saying we shouldn't help our customers? The law requires that I answer no. We're supposed to help people. We're supposed to help our people! Starting with our stockholders, Bob! Who's helping them out, huh? You know, Bob, a company... Is like an enormous clock. Is like an enormous clock. Yes, precisely. It only works if all the little cogs mesh together. Now, a clock needs to be clean, well lubricated, and wound tight. The best clocks have jewel movements, cogs that fit, that cooperate by design. <laughs> I'm being metaphorical, Bob. You know what I mean by cooperative cogs? Bob? Bob? Look at me when I'm talking to you, Parr! The man out there. He needs help. Do not change the subject, Bob. We're discussing your attitude. He is getting mugged. Well, let's hope we don't cover him. I'll be right back. Stop right now, or you're fired! Close the door. Get over here now. I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy. He got away. Good thing, too. (laughs) You were this close to losing your job. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I hope you all never resort to violence, but let me be honest. Sometimes your dissatisfaction with your job... Oh, we all know that inner boiling this sense of not fulfilling our calling here's the thing work is very time consuming it is a very time consuming part of our life we spend more time in our jobs we spend more time in our jobs than with our own families than in homes not counting the time that we sleep And our work world often resembles, office or not, this cubicle world, a segmented space, neatly divided, right? Each person doing virtually the same soulless task. Sometimes we even end up hating our jobs, hating going to work, hating everything about it. And that can sour our perspective on life in general. Our work is a big part of who we are. Our work is a huge part of our identity. It plays a big part in how we view all of life. And so the question this morning, how can we have a spiritual vision for our work in 2020, especially if we hate our job? First, I think it's important, and I want to say this right up front. God wants us to work. God created us to work. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden, listen, to work it and take care of it. God created us to do a job. God created us to complete a task. Work is fundamentally tied to our image, to our identity as image bearers of God. God worked six days and then he rested. We were created in that image. We were created to be productive. We were created to have meaning and purpose and to do something that we call work. God worked and then he rested and we carry out that image. Everywhere we go, when we don't work, we fail to do what God called us to do. Look at Second Thessalonians 3.10. Paul is dealing with an issue in the church. And he says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Paul said, we gave you, church, this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Even within that community, there were people who were unwilling to work. Now, I need to make a note here, and this is very important, that Paul is not speaking about those who are unable to work. Those who are physically unable, mentally unable, who have suffered some reason in their life that they are unable to make a living to work. And those are the people that Paul says we need to come behind and help and support Paul is speaking to people who simply don't have a desire to work. Work is a spiritual endeavor because it is directly connected to the fabric of our very being, to our identity, to our image that we bear. As image bearers of God, we are called to work. It's no surprise that we find so much of our identity in our work, some of us, too much. For many of us it defines us our identity listen should not be found in our work but our identity is found in God work is simply an expression of that identity okay Tony I'm supposed to work I buy into that you you've shown me in scripture that God created Adam and Eve the first thing he said gave him a job and paul in the new testament saying okay yeah you need to work if you can it's good to work and you all have experienced this you know this that your work is important to you the job you have is important to you so now the question is but what am i supposed to do i mean what's my calling should i be an accountant should i be a teacher should i work in a factory should I be a pastor? Should I be a missionary? Should I do this? Should I do that? What should I do? What is my calling? Because let me tell you, Pastor, I hate my job. And I want to quit yesterday. Now, from a Christian perspective, this is, if, if you are not in, haven't been in the church long and you're not familiar with this, as a, from a Christian perspective, we believe, and we say this a lot, and you'll hear it said, and as Christians we say it. I grew up hearing it, and I even wrestled with this growing up because, you know, this, this idea of calling and, okay, God, what do you want me to do? We say this a lot, that God calls us to do something specific in our life. We believe it's that God has a plan for me. And we often think of that in very specific terms. And we want to put a label on that work. And we want to put a label on that career. And next thing you know, our entire life is about that career. We go to school for it. We go to training for it. We, we compete for it. We fight for it. We do everything because we believe God's called us to something specific. And Christian, from the Christian's perspective, that's what we say and what we do. And so you will hear people talk about trying to figure out their calling in life. And you've heard that word calling in life as though there is this. I've heard non-Christians talk about the calling, and I've often thought, who's calling? (laughs) You know, I've thought that. And I hear people who don't believe in God. They're like, yeah, this is my calling, you know, and oh, you're great at this. Yeah, this is my calling. Well, who called you? And this is what we believe, that God has this idea for us in this specific job. And so here's what what you hear is people trying to figure out what they're called to do. And here's the result of that. There's a whole lot of job surfing going on. People go from job to job, career to career, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying people are looking for their calling. They're trying to find out what makes them happy, what makes them, you know, fulfilled, what gives them purpose, what gives them meaning. But listen, we all just want to make a living doing what we love. Can we agree with that? We all just want to make a living. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could all just take what we love and make a living out of it? right now I'm going to be honest with you and this is a matter of fact that may not be possible it may not be possible to make a living out of what you love wow pastor that's you know I'm not Tony Robbins up here all right I'm not some motivational speaker. I'm not telling you, you know, you've seen the commercial with the Pinocchio and he's given the the speech and he points at this guy and says, you have potential! And his nose grows and the guy feels really bad, you know. This ain't motivational speaking here. This is just truth. And John the Baptist is the one that we can go to and realize this is a guy who did what he loved, but he didn't make a living at it. John the Baptist fulfilled his calling. And trust me, he didn't make a very good living at it. John the Baptist, and you might be saying, well, who's John the Baptist? He was the relative of Jesus. He was the one from the Old Testament that was prophesied who would come. He was the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. He was a miracle child. His mother and father could not have children, and they were very old. And he came as a miracle because God had a purpose. God had a calling for him. And his calling was to proclaim the way of the Lord. And John fulfilled his calling, but he didn't make a very good living at it. For the Bible tells us he ate wild honey. Not good. He ate insects. Not really good. Maybe he dipped them in honey so they'd taste better. He wore camel's hair, not good, itchy. He slept outside. He was this wild, crazy dude that would come in from the wilderness with fiery speeches about repentance and repentance and repentance. And he's screaming to the people, "Who are you?" He called him Brute of Viper." He called him all kinds of things. But this was his calling. John knew that he was born for one reason, and that was to prepare the way for the Messiah. To challenge the people. Now listen. To turn from their ways. To turn from their way of life that was sinful and toward God so that they could be prepared when the Messiah came. And so John would find himself out baptizing people. And he's preaching and he's proclaiming. And John was this popular guy. Thousands of people came to him. Some people even thought he was the Messiah. John fulfilled his calling. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3 verse 1. I'm going to read down through. I'm going to skip through some of the first parts of this until I get to the real meat of what I want to talk about this morning. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, we've heard of this guy, haven't we? Anybody heard the Christmas story and all that stuff? This is that guy. Pontius Pilate, oh, we've heard of that guy. Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Eteria and Yeah, they make me say all this stuff. You're all laughing, but... Lysanius, tetriarch of Abilene, Texas? No, I'm just kidding. Not Texas. During the high priest of Annas and and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching, and this was John's calling, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. This is a different baptism that we are baptized under Jesus Christ. We are baptized into Jesus. John's baptism was different. The Jewish tradition practiced several ceremonial purifications. You're like, ceremonial purification, you've got to explain that. People would come in and be, they would use water to wash away as a declaration of impurity that they were being made pure, but they were being made pure ceremonially. In other words, the Jewish people understood the concept of baptism. They understood the concept of using water to wash away the impurities of life. But they also understood that for now it was just ceremonial, it was pomp. There was no real meaning to it other than it was symbolic and it was a washing away as a ceremony. John's baptism, though, was different. John came calling the people to something more radical. John came calling the people to something that was different. Not just a pomp ceremonial washing, but a true change. A true turning. He called people to repent. Repentance is that turning. It is this true repentance and this change of life. Repentance can be defined as this idea... Of it is a re- prerequisite to forgiveness. And sometimes we think God just simply forgives us. That's not true. The scripture doesn't teach that. John came teaching repentance that God doesn't just simply forgive, but that a person must willingly acknowledge their sinful ways and turn from them with sincerity. With sincerity. Repentance is twofold. It's a change of heart towards sin. You don't want to do it anymore. And it's a change of direction away from sin. You're going to begin to live your life in ways that is different than the way you used to live. And God simply does not forgive those who do not feel sorrow for their sin. John's baptism was not simply a means of salvation, but a gateway to salvation. To repent and to be baptized was a public acknowledgement that I am walking through the gateway in preparation for what the Messiah, God's Son, was about to do to be totally different. Verse 7. I'm going to skip forward to verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's no, you know, next baptism service, I'm going to start the service that way, right? You brood of vipers. That's just no way to talk to people, but John was this guy and he was fiery and he just got right down to it. He's like, you come out to be baptized, but you have no means, you you have no desire to change. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Next verse. Produce fruit, he says. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So he's obviously talking to Jews. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children... For Abraham, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree, now listen, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Basically, John says this, you call yourself children of God because you claim Abraham is your father. That you are descendants of Abraham, a physical descendant but you act nothing like the children of god that's what john's saying he's saying you come to me and you call yourselves children of god you say that you are ready to change but you don't act like the children of god and then he says repent and listen produce fruit in keeping with repentance a relationship with god has nothing to do With human heritage. You might have been born into the church. You might have grown up your whole life in the church. You might even be a member of the church. But your relationship to God has nothing to do with earthly human ways. Being children of Abraham, so to say, would not save them. God's children are to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. God forgives, and God adopts, and God regenerates those who sincerely come and turn away from their sinful life. John warns them that every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down. Basically, John's saying judgment is coming, and those who continue to practice sinful ways and do not turn from them, will not make it. God's salvation is not ceremonial, but it's transformational. This is not just a baptism that washes away the outward impurities. John is saying, fruit, fruit that is produced in keeping with repentance brings transformation not just an outward change verse 10 what should we do then the crowd asked what should we do john answered anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none and anyone who has food should do the same now that's an interesting way to talk about salvation Luke reports that there are three groups, and we're going to talk about the other two here in a second, who come to, G, to John and say, okay, we've gone through the baptism, we've repented, we've been baptized, our lives, we're turning from our, our sinful ways and we're turning toward God. Now what do we do? What's next? What's the next step in our life? The first group is the crowd. I think they're stung a little bit by how harsh John can be and how truthful John was. They knew he was right. They were convicted. They repented. They were baptized. The Word of God is not ever intended to just make us feel guilty. But the Word of God, true conviction, always leads to a hopeful action. The the, the Word of God always leads us to a hopeful action. Okay, John, we've done this. Now what? Give us hope give us purpose, give us meaning. John says to them to live differently. A repentant life is a transformed life. And that's what John is saying. You used to live for yourself. You used to live in sinful ways that you only considered your happiness, your needs, yourself, what you could get out of life what you could get. Now that you've transformed, now that you've repented your life, you're turning from that selfish life to a life of God. And these are the things that God cares about, that you care about others. That you stop putting yourself first and you start putting others first. That if you have more than you need, that you share with someone else. A repentant life, John says, is a different, transformed life. Love your neighbor who is in need. Give what you can. But then in verse 12, something else happens. Tax collector's, the tax collectors come. I know it seems strange, and if you know anything about Scripture, maybe you don't, and I'll talk about this here in a moment, but tax collectors just were not good people. I mean... The, the, people, the Jewish people hated them. They despised them. Um, they just were not well thought of in this culture. The tax collectors were coming to John and repenting and being baptized. And here's what the tax collectors, even tax collectors, Luke tells us, came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Next verse. John says, don't collect any more than you are required to he told them next verse then some soldiers here's another group nobody likes soldiers especially Roman soldiers they said what should we do we're soldiers we can't be soldiers anymore right and John says don't extort money don't accuse people falsely be content with your pay So there's these two groups of tax collectors and soldiers who come to John after they've repented, after they've turned from their ways and turned toward God. They've been baptized. And this is the central message of what I want you to get today. These two groups worked in jobs that nobody who was good wanted to work in. The tax collector, basically a legalized robber for the Roman government. They were despised because they would steal from their own family. The Roman government required so much tax and then they would hire Jewish tax collectors and these tax collectors would then sit and collect taxes for the Romans and instead of collecting what they needed, they would cheat their own people and become wealthy. Tax collectors always collected more than they were required to. Soldiers, these people would enforce the occupation of Israel. They had no love of the people. They extorted the people. They accused people falsely so that they could get what they wanted. They abused the people. Rome would simply turn their eyes as soldiers took advantage of people because they were not simply content with what their pay was. Now listen. John gives the crowd, the tax collector, and the soldier different replies, but basically the same. They were different, but here's the the similarity in them. Basically, John gave them an ethical action that needed to happen. An ethical action that needed to take place. They were to keep fruit that keeps with repentance. John gives an answer that demonstrates this. The kingdom of God is concerned not so much with what we do with our life, no matter, no matter whatever matters is my concern for the need of others. Let me re-say that. The kingdom of God is concerned not so much with what I do with my life, but what really matters is what I do in that job or in my life those who were producing fruit and keeping with repentance will live in such a way no matter what job they have no matter what they do to make a living so John gives them this specific answer but there's an unspoken answer here and it's important that we hear it and that we get it your job is important and you shouldn't necessarily quit it because you become a Christian or that because you're a Christian one man is a tax collector probably not his calling but John doesn't tell him to quit one repentant man was a soldier probably not his calling but John does not tell him to quit you might work in IT you might work as a bank person. You might be in sales. You might be a teacher. Or you might work at Walmart. Or you might work in a factory on a line. That may not be your calling. But it doesn't mean you can't fulfill your calling in what you do. God does not always call me to a specific job. But he always calls me to live a specific way. Your calling May not be the job that you make a living. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. But we are not called to a job or a career. We are called to live out our faith in every walk of life. To bring the gospel to that cubicle, to bring the gospel to that factory line, to bring the gospel to that classroom. To bring the gospel to that courtroom. To bring the gospel to that nurse's room. To bring the gospel wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. To bring the gospel to my family as I'm a stay-at-home mom or dad. Whatever it is that you do, fulfill your calling to be God's people. To live in such a way that produces fruit that is in keeping with repentance. This was John's advice. Your work should be an extension of your faith and your worship. Okay, Tony, but what should I do? (laughs) We always come back to that, don't we? I hate my job. Well, then find something different. But that's not your calling. I'm waiting for God to call me to something more important, whatever that means. Something more meaningful. Something with more purpose. And here's where we make the mistake. Here's where you make the mistake. And what John is trying to say, if, you, if a happy life is all about what you do, that's the problem. It's about you. If you'll only be happy if you find the right job, you'll never find the right job. Do you think the tax collector was thinking, wow, everyone hates tax collectors. How can I be a tax collector? How can I live for God as a tax collector? And John says, go be the best tax collector, godly tax collector that you can be. Do you think the soldier was thinking to himself, how can I be a soldier? How can I produce fruit in keeping with repentance? God cannot use a soldier. And John says, go be the best godly soldier that you can be. What matters is that you've repented. Now go live like it. But Tony, I work in a factory, or I work on cars, I work in a cubicle, I work on try, drive a truck, I sell insurance, I'm an attorney. I'm retired. How about that one? Let me just speak to those who are retired. Redeem your time, retired people. You have the most opportunity to do the greatest things among us, and you're like great things. What? What am I gonna? You know, I'm going fishing next week. Well, the ice isn't on, but I would. Um, you know, what's the great thing? Anything. And I said a few weeks ago, the greatest thing that you can do is anything that's not about you. Redeem your time. Great things. It's anything that's not about you. You have time and flexibility to volunteer, to help. Here's our bottom line today it's not about what you do that makes the difference, but how you do it. And I think that's what John was trying to say to the tax collector. I think that's what John was trying to say to the soldier. You don't have to not be a tax collector, you don't have to not be a soldier. God can use you wherever if you'll just produce fruit that's in keeping with repentance. If you'll just walk in the ways of God, if you'll keep your mind and your heart and your focus turned on God, He will use you in whatever you do. So here's my challenge for you this morning as our worship team's coming up to close us out with a song this morning. My challenge to you is this. Repent. Repent. Repent from living a life that's just about you. Stop always just trying to find the thing in life that's going to make you happy and start living for others in whatever it is that you decide to do. Relax. Enjoy your work. Find work that you enjoy. But your calling, your vocation, really has nothing to do with what you do. Your calling to be called, to keep, be worthy of the calling that God has called us to. His calling for us is to be His children in all the world. In every area of life. In every up and down and job and, not, and home and wherever we go. That is our calling. Repent from a life that's just about you. Stop making life just about finding the right job. The kingdom of God is about fruit that keeps in with that, that is keeping with repentance. The kingdom of God is about making the world a better place Bringing the gospel to a dark world, shining light in the dark places of life, including the cubicle and the job and the factory and the line and the classroom. This is the transformation. (laughs) To begin living for others and not just me. To find opportunity in whatever I am doing. To be Jesus. To my children, to my coworkers, to my clients, my customers, my patients. I challenge you this week and in 2020 to live out the work that God has begun in you. Where you work and where you live. Let me pray for you and then they're going to lead us in a song that's an awesome song called hallelujah here below. And I think that's what I'm talking about this morning on earth as it is in heaven today. Father, bless our work in 2020. In Jesus' name, amen.